Hello, friends. This is episode 1095 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's show, I'm going to be speaking with Marsha. She's a social worker at a community mental health agency who has a son with type 1 diabetes. Please don't forget that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juice Box Podcast private Facebook group, Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. But everybody is welcome. Type 1, Type 2, gestational, loved ones, it doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, check out Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. Thanks to everyone who listens, supports, shares, downloads, follows me online, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, you make this possible. I hope you have a very happy new year. At the end of this episode, I'll give you a few highlights from what's coming in January. US Med is sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast, and we've been getting our diabetes supplies from US Med for years. You can as well. USMed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. Use the link or the number, get your free benefits check, and get started today with US Med. Marsha? Oh, there you are. Hey, how are you? Can uh, you hear me? Uh, yes, you were. I don't know if you get the same message as I get, but it was like Marsha's connecting to audio, and that was going on for a while. So I was like, I wonder if it's ever going to happen. But there it is. I had to click a button, I think. I just missed clicking it. Oh, so. really? That's interesting. I'll have to keep that in mind. Do you have any questions? I don't think so. Cool. I'm trying not to be nervous. I'm trying not to freak out. <laughs> how does... We're recording already, just so you know. Okay. If, uh, how does trying not to be nervous work? Um, I've just been sitting here scrolling through Facebook, trying to find my Zen space. Did you, so. did you find it? Uh, I think I'm pretty okay right now. What I think on, I'm okay. What on Facebook made you Zen? Um, just scrolling. Something not to think about this. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Just the the mindless um the numbingness of, of just scrolling. Just going by and going by and going by. It is really interesting how scrolling through an app or uh playing a game of chance or like you know, of a game on your phone, even that there's no, like you can play and then lose and then play again and lose again and win again. It doesn't matter. It's all about like the, the beeps and the boops and then right. the colors and right. stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Like you did it or, you know, try again. Yeah. Doesn't it feels like the three app developers could put us all into a, like a wake, a waking coma if they wanted to like the, oh my God. <laughs> They're just they're just being kind enough not to turn us into like living zombies, unless we already are. I Every guess. now and then, I have to go through and just delete stuff because I'll just get so focused or so like I've got to play this game, I've got to play this game, and it's ridiculous. 
And so every now and then I'll just go through and delete all my apps on my phone. And I'm like, mm, can't do it. But then one sneaks back on there and then another one sneaks back on there. So it's crazy. My son's only 23 and he was gone for maybe a month at his first job. And uh, I sent him a link. I was like, check this out. It's hilarious. And he texted back and he goes, I don't have TikTok anymore. I took that off my phone. Smart kid. And I was like, yeah, he goes, it was, I was just wasting my time with it. And I was like, all right. Good for you. Yeah. I don't know if he's put it back on or not. He's been there five months now, but yeah. but uh, but he knew. He was like, oh, I got to get rid of this. Anyway. My niece and nephew are probably about that age. They don't have any of that stuff. They're like, uh-uh. Yeah. They just aren't into it. They're like, I'd rather just connect with people. And I'm like, oh, good person. <laughs> Maybe I need to be like that. Well, that would be amazing. I also don't know. I mean, my son's like maintaining a distance relationship with his college girlfriend too because they both oh, they both got job opportunities that were just nowhere near each other but wow i was like geez well those kids that age can do it i don't know how i'm like mm, yeah i gotta tell you right now if, Ke if kelly wasn't here for a couple of months <laughs> i totally forget who she was <laughs> <laughs> i've always laughed that i've been so low maintenance in relationships that people forgot they were in a relationship with me <laughs> Oh, we broke up, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. You just don't demand anything of people? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> what? I'm totally fine by myself. I'm okay. <laughs> my God. So. All right. <laughs> my last question before we get going is being, how old are you? I am 58, almost 59. I was going to say, I thought you were a little older than me. And I was going to say being your age, but then I thought, let me just ask first. How much of your life was met with people referring to Marsha Brady from the Brady Bunch. Team. Oh my God. If I have to hear Marsha, Marsha, Marsha one more time, like I just want to throw something at people. And you know, when this, so I grew up in the Brady Bunch era and mm -hmm. then when the Brady movie came out, oh, it started it over. Like started over. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, please, please. I can imagine that the trailer coming on television, you being like, no, no, <laughs> not again. Stop. stop, do not do it again. Don't punish me again. Oh my God. A yeah. A lot of young yeah. people have no idea what you're talking about, but uh, no I idea. I don't even think it's worth checking into, to be perfectly yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So good morning. Let's get good going. Morning. Where are you at in the country? I am in Kansas. Oh, well, it's early there. Uh, it's 8.30. Why do people not think that's early? <laughs> because I get up and go to the gym at 5 in the morning. Do you really? I've already, yeah, I've already had a workout in and everything. Oh, my God. I'm good to go. I don't understand. What's the rest of your day look like? I usually get to work by 8 o'clock and work until 5 and then come home and take care of this little wild child that I have. Hmm. What do you do for a yeah. living? Can you tell me? I'm a social worker. And I work at a community mental health agency. Oh, that's lovely work. Um, yeah. Okay. Why are we on the podcast? What's your connection to diabetes? So my son is type 1. He has been diagnosed for about two years and three months, five months, two years and four months. How old two is years he? and four months. How old is he now? He's 10. He'll be 11 in um, about... 15 days. 11, diagnosed around nine. And you just reminded me of my favorite story about my uncle. What's that? We were, I used to work for my uncle. When I got out of high school, I had a, what you would call no prospects. Uh, uh -huh. I grew up in a very kind of like blue collar 
household, the idea was go to school. You don't really have to pay attention to it because you're just going to get a job afterwards. And uh, then I graduated and I was like, I don't know what to do. My grandmother basically forced my uncle into giving me a job in his sheet metal shop. I think she cajoled him. And Uh uh, so there I was and uh, worked there for quite some time. I did not make very much money. Uh, But every morning there was a a coffee break, 10 a.m., 15 minutes. Like the whole place shut down for 15 minutes. You could just sit there and just collect yourself and get through this 15-minute break and then you, all you had to do was make it till noon. <laughs> and then uh-huh. you could have lunch. And then all you had to do was live till five, you know. But one day we're all sitting around. And once in a while, the boss would come out. And he's passed now, so I don't feel bad saying this. He came out, and we're all just trying to, you know what I mean? Like, just, just I guess, just make s- it. Sc- scroll Facebook in our heads for a couple of minutes. Because it's a hard, difficult job in a hot environment or a freezing cold environment, depending on the time of year. And he starts telling a story. Now, God bless him. The man was not a a gifted storyteller. And he's five minutes into a story that you still don't understand where it's going. You don't care about. And he mentions a pickup truck. And he goes, you know, it was a 63. No, 64. Yeah. So it was a 1960. Might it be? Was it a 65? No, no, no. It was red. It was a 60, um, 60, I think the truck was a, and I'm sitting there going, like, you guys have listened to this podcast for a while. I'm like, everyone shut it off already, man. Let's go. <laughs> like, everybody goes. And uh, and he just, he fumfered around for what felt like forever, trying to decide on the year of this pickup truck in the story. Eventually landing on the idea that he was not going to recall the year of the pickup truck. Moving on. And when the story ended, I had to stop myself from saying out loud, the truck and what year it was born had no bearing on this story whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) But I bet if my husband were in the room, he could probably tell you exactly what year if he told them what color it was. I don't know. Just when you were deciding how long your child had, had diabetes, you were like, I don't know, it was like 14 and a half or 15 or 16 months. And I was like, oh, my God, Uncle Bob. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> anyway, I was trying to do the math in my head and social work and math don't go together. That's why people become social workers. So they don't have to do math. I honestly wish that man was still alive. I'd call him right now and ask him what the hell was going through his head when that happened. Um, okay, so we'll get back to your, I'm sorry, son, right? No, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. we'll get back to your son in a moment. Uh, I want to know a little bit about what you do. So what's a, okay. day, what's a day like in your job? So I don't know if you're familiar, but most of the community mental health agencies well, across the nation are becoming certified community behavioral health centers. And um, it's known as nationally as CCBHC. And my job is to bring that model into our agency and um, create changes. So community mental health agencies aren't just focused on mental health. They're focused on behavioral health, um, substance use, and the integration of physical health. So it's kind of integrating all that stuff into a mental health agency. And then I supervise um, managers of like our mobile response team and we have a jail team and behavior health court team and our children's services. I supervise a lot of people. Wow. So 
What's the uh, desire of making the shift? Is it so that you can offer more services in the location? So it's really um, helping people to focus on whole uh, person well-being and not just mental health. For a long time, you think of here's mental health in one spot, here's substance abuse in another spot, here's my physical health, and they're not interrelated, but we all know that they are interrelated. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really kind of forcing community mental health centers to move out of that thinking that we're just providing mental health services, but we're really providing whole person care to, you know, the people that we serve. And I think about this a lot when I think about my son with diabetes, Mm -hmm. right? Because when he is, when his blood sugars are high, that kid is cranky and nasty and just, you know, he's just not fun to deal with, right? And so when you think about how we have some of our clients who have long standing physical ailments that aren't treated and then are depressed, it's like, why why aren't we paying attention to what's going on with their physical health? Because that will impact their mental health. Right. And so if we can make their physical health better, maybe their mental health will be better. Martin and I were so. having a conversation yesterday while we were in the car. And uh, I was on a mad dash around New Jersey trying to get my next uh, dose of Wegovy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'd be honest while we were together. And we were trying to avoid the um, the fires right now. Uh, there, right. There's fires in... Canada, I guess the time stamp this, and somehow the smoke is blowing into America. I'm pretty sure they're attacking us. Uh, and uh, the skies are <laughs> orange here. Uh-huh. And the and the, um, the air quality is like in the 400s. It's terrible, right? So we're zipping around, and we're talking about all kinds of different things. And I, I want to preface what I'm going to say uh, by being very clear that I'm not doubting anybody's problems, issues, ideas, nothing like that. But I began to wonder, and we were talking back and forth about uh, social contagions and how sort of there's a per- it feels like somebody says something out loud, and then later I'm going to sound like a right wing lunatic for a second, but I don't feel like that. Just so everybody understands, uh, but like how much goes into my friend says she's anxious. I'm anxious or like that kind of thing. Like, like how much is it just almost learned behavior? Like, you know, like we, we say, oh, there's people online and they're sharing their blank with us and that's great. But are they also indoctrinating or talking other people into believing that a very normal feeling that they're having is actually not normal? And do like, do you see that like in waves, I guess? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I think there is truly some of that. And I think there's a lot of that that happens probably more so like in the teens and 20s. -hmm. Well, no, I'm going to say it happens all across the board. But like we work with kids who are like, oh, I have dissociative identity disorder. And we're like, really? Mm -hmm. How about that's really about you feeling sad and lonely here and then feeling really happy and chipper here. And that's just the normal range of emotions. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I'm going to diagnose myself on the computer and then I have all these ailments and I'm really anxious. And I'm like, you know what, that's probably just this 
you're probably just having some normal emotions and it's really okay. Right. <laughs> Stop reading that. Yeah. Well, even Stop I, diagnosing yourself by Google. <laughs> I had somebody telling me about like, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety, but they were in a really pressure filled situation. I was like, mm-hmm. I believe uh, this situation dictates anxiety. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but why, I don't know why anxiety is bad in this scenario. Like, are you anxious constantly? You, you know what I mean? Like, or, right. or you, were you in a, a, a situation that, needed you to be at a heightened state and you were and then you a friend looks at you and goes oh you're you're anxious i know because i'm anxious too but i take medication for it and then you're like well maybe i should take medication for it or like you know what i mean like and not to say that there aren't some i hope i'm being clear not to say that there aren't some people who are ridden with anxiety and need medication i'm just saying i wonder how much the internet and the uh Ability for everybody to just say something out loud and for you to hear it over and over. And then the algorithm will tell you, hey, you like listening to people talk about their XYZ. And then the next five videos are the same person. You're like, oh my God, everyone has this. I must have it too. Like, you know, I could probably go on a tangent about social media because you think about even what happens in social media. Everybody posts what looks good, right? Or bad. But do, yeah, yeah right. or bad, one or the other. But like, do they ever? Do you ever see the range that happens? And you're so so very right. There are situations that are intense, and you know, are anxiety provoking. And when you're out of that situation, you're able to come back to normal and center and all that kind of stuff. Just because you were anxious for you know an hour or two hours doesn't mean that you have anxiety. And it doesn't mean that it's going to impact your life over the long term. May it impact your life maybe in that day? Sure. Mm -hmm. In that week? Maybe. But does that mean it goes on and on and on to the point where you need to be medicated and you have all these symptoms and you can't cope? You know, no. Mm -hmm. And again, not to discount those people that it really does happen to because it is very, very true. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in business. We all have bad things that happen to us and we get sad and we get depressed about them. And we have coping skills that we learn how to manage them and we're able to move forward. But that doesn't mean that we're depressed and needs to be on 15 antidepressants. And Yeah. Also, yeah. also things, yeah. things get fashionable too. Yes. And Oh, God, yes. Right? And then they ebb and flow. What, what's the one, it's just a thought just popped into my head. Oh, oh. There was a time and I, I say online, I guess, where everyone was calling everyone a narcissist. Yes. And I don't remember when it was, and it went on for a couple of years, but it became very fashionable that if somebody showed any signs of narcissism, that people were like, that girl's narcissistic, or I'm always dating narcissists, or blah, blah, blah. And, I, and then all of a sudden, you don't hear about it anymore. What, did everybody right. did everybody fix it and stop dating narcissists or like <laughs> did you move on to another social contagion another th- there, you know I 100% agree tons of trends about who is what and what we move on to and right. you get buzzwords that are out there and half the time people don't even know what the buzzwords really are you know, I'm just going to throw it out there. Listen, I've met a lot of people. I'm not sure they should be in charge of which foot goes in chart in front of the next one. But then suddenly I'm letting them tell me what a narcissist is. I was like, right. last week, I wouldn't have taken lunch advice from you. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> not to say right. that I'm brilliant, but, and you know, not to say that if you think you were with a narcissist once, you're not. But it just, we don't, we let people 
say very impactful things. Not that they can't say, they can say whatever they want, but they say very impactful things. We don't know who they are. Right. Right? Like, I have no idea who you are, what your qualifications are to call your boyfriend a narcissist. Uh, Like, how do you know? Like, what did you hear? I mean, I use diabetes as an example. I can't find every doctor who understands diabetes. But the lady up the street definitely understands mental health disorders. And she's for sure knows what's up with the other lady across the street from her. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And then we all get sucked into it. And then you're on your way. Yes. So, yeah, it's interesting too, because people will come to me, you know, like I could diagnose you. I mean, I could like, I have the license, I have the credentials, I could give someone a diagnosis. They're like, well, what do you think about this? And I'm like, mm, not going to do it, not going to play your little game. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. if you really need help, you'll know that you really need help. Don't, and, like, again, don't Google it. And when people you know? really need help, they make it to you. Right. You, right. Like, you're. You, I'm assuming this, the place you work is not full of a bunch of people having small existential crises. Like, you know, they're really in trouble. Yes. How yeah. how much in Kansas is is drug related? I used to hate ordering my daughter's diabetes supplies. I never had a good experience and it was frustrating. But it hasn't been that way for a while. Actually for about 3 years now because that's how long we've been using US Med. usmed.com/juicebox or call 888-721-1514. U.S. Med is the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre systems nationwide. They are the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide, the number one rated distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. They have served over 1 million people with diabetes since 1996, and they always provide 90 days worth of supplies and fast and free shipping. U.S. Med carries everything from insulin pumps, and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Libre 3 and Dexcom G7. They accept Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. Find out why U.S. Med has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau at usmed.com slash juicebox, or just call them at 888-721-1514. Get started right now, and you'll be getting your supplies the same way we do. You know, um, it's interesting because I actually live in Lawrence, Kansas, and what happens is a lot of the drugs come from like Kansas City, then cross the state of Missouri, um, I mean, from St. Louis, across the state of Missouri to Kansas City, and then keep going this way. So right now, we're seeing a lot of uh, meth-related stuff, Mm -hmm. and then we actually had three fentanyl overdoses just in the past week which is a little unique to Lawrence, but I had spent the last 25 years in Kansas City working in substance use services. Um, I uh, ran four uh, residential and outpatient programs and two methadone clinics. And so we saw a lot more of it there. Now it's like coming this way. And so we do, I mean, I think that's part of why there's this big push to really integrate mental health to look at substance use because, you know, it's they're so intertwined. Um, and uh, meth is really big here in Kansas. 
So put that on the big sign on the highway. Um, Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what are some off the top of your head reasons that people find themselves amenable to drug use on that level? You know, I think it really starts um, after working for so many years in it. I think what it really starts is is a lot of people start to experiment with something and they do it because they have some kind of uh, lack of skills in their life. I want to say that in a very broad terms. Mm-hmm. So like I am really socially awkward. So I start smoking pot. And when I smoke pot, you know, I'm a little more able to um, engage with other people and I'm able to have better conversations. Right. And then that pot becomes not enough. And I have my friend who says, Hey, have you ever tried this crack? Let me try this crack. Or I moved to PCP or move to something else. And so I think really when it kind of boils down to it, people have some kind of pain or not skills to cope with something that's kind of challenging in their life. Mm -hmm. So they turn to something that just really helps them feel better and helps them be able to cope with that situation. And then that just keeps happening more and more and more. That's typically the pathway that people get to like the heavier drugs. The other way is if I'm in an accident and I have something and my doctors prescribed me um, some pills and after a while I use more and more of those to, you know, take care of whatever's going on, which by that point, it's probably not the pain. It's probably I've become addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And then my doctor says, no, I'm not going to do that. Then I start searching for that out in my community because my doctor's not going to give it to me so I can get it on the street. And then, so you see people becoming addicted, like one of those two ways, like the pain pathway or, you know, some kind of lack of emotional skills that people have. How much is boredom involved? Well, I think that's, um, that's huge. That's also a reason why people don't stop using because they're afraid they're going to be really bored in their life. Gives you something to do, right? Yeah. 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 And because it, yeah. it, it would be someone's inclination, I believe, to say, how about poverty? But it happens to people on all mm-hmm. all levels of, you know, their social Yeah, just status. people who are rich are able to hide it better, right? Right. Because, like, if I am having a really challenging year at work, say, and I'm burnout and I'm crispy, I have the means that I can go on a little vacation and rejuvenate. But if I... And and that helps me hide maybe what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. I have the means to kind of hide it better if I have money. But if I'm working in the sheet iron factory, mm-hmm. right, and I'm making minimum wage, where do I get away from that? Where do I get a, away from, you know, what's going on with me? I just turn to drugs. So Almost crazy that you just said that because in our uh... – drive around yesterday looking for this uh, a pharmacy that had this uh, dose that I needed. We ended up in a diner in a town that was you know pretty far from our house and uh, what do I want to say? The town was run down. And mm-hmm. we go into the diner, Arden and I, to have lunch and there's a family behind us. Uh, daughter, high school age, mother in her 50s, 40s, late 40s, 50s, and their grandmother. And they argued and yelled at each other and just generally speaking acted in a way I would be mortified to act out in public at the very least. 
Um, but when they weren't yelling at each other, they would switch back to fantasiful conversations about where they'd like to go on vacation. And they were big places. Like, I think we should go to Bora Bora and blah, blah. And I'm like, Bora Bora. I'm like, who's paying for that? And, yeah. you, know, like, you know, and then it went to, well, if we're going to go over a sea, then we're going to go to Paris. And all I could think was, oh, they, they're never going to do that. And it, it actually struck me as, I mean, it was sad, right? Like, I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to paint a different picture. I can't afford to go to Bora Bora either. Right. They definitely can't. And they are not in a position that is one day going to magically say, this is it, right? And what I came to understand was that sitting in that diner and talking about going to Bora Bora, I think that was their vacation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they just kind of, and I don't know. Like, it was just, I can't believe that's the example you used because I, I was sitting there yesterday thinking the same thing. Like, if you make X amount of money a day or a week and a plane ticket to Paris is whatever it is, like, you can't even, you'll never even be able to afford to fly there, let alone stay in a hotel or keep yourself going or, and then you don't get that respite. Um, right. Yeah. Actually, right. You yeah. don't get a break. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. also I think closed quarters, like smaller homes or have, or your home not being a hospitable place like a place that you actually want to spend time, right? Like, because now you're outside with other people who are in a similar situation. And I guess then that snowball starts rolling downhill pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 So how do you help people in that situation? If you look at like national average, not very many people, the first time that they try to get clean and sober, get clean and sober, it's like 10%, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to think about this. You're just like, you're asking somebody to change absolutely everything in their life who they hang out with, how they do things, so on and so forth. So part of it is it's really kind of twofold. You give them a lot of education about what the drugs do to their body and their brain and all of that kind of stuff. And then you start teaching them skills. Like, how do you manage stress? What is the skill does it take for you to manage stress? What's the skill um, that you need to learn to set some good boundaries with your family that maybe every time that they have a holiday they're drinking and smoking and you can't be around them, you know? So it's, it's really doing a lot of education. And then the other part of that is a person has to be really, really motivated to change, you know, like they have to say it's enough. And you can think about that with everything, like with a person who wants to lose weight, like why do people lose weight? You finally get motivated enough to make a change in what you're doing. And some people have that, motivation put upon them. They lose their kids. They lose some freedom. You know, they have a heart attack or some kind of health scare that really is a motivating factor for them. And some people just, you know, they kind of try and then they don't and they try and they don't. And eventually it just kind of sticks. And for most people, they just get sick and tired of being sick and tired and want to do something different. I'm looking online here. It it seems that around 20 million adult Americans age 12 or older battle some sort of a substance abuse disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 70. And the younger you start, the the quicker you get to that addiction mm-hmm. part where you're truly addicted. 74% of adults suffering from substance abuse disorders in 2017 struggled with alcohol. Mm-hmm. 38% of adults in 2017 battled an illicit drug. Um, wow. It's really something. 
It makes you feel, it makes me feel, I don't know how it makes other people feel, uh, but it makes me feel just lucky that, like, that didn't happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And because I grew up in, uh, I mean, poverty, and um, my home wasn't a hospital environment, hospitable environment, and there were plenty of reasons why I should have. I never, whenever anyone asks me why, why don't you drink or why don't you do that, I honestly don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it would make sense that I would have, mm-hmm. and so I, I don't. I don't know. I wonder if I'm just so cheap. <laughs> I am really cheap. <laughs> I don't want to spend my money that way. <laughs> I'm like I can't give you money for that. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, it's, you know, it's kind of funny because I grew up in a very rural. My dad was a hog farmer. My parents went to dance club once a month, and they took their bottle of cherry vodka and old charter whiskey with them, and they would have that bottle for like five years and it would go every time with them to dance club once a month. So I didn't grow up in a household that drank or any of that kind of stuff. Now, when I went to college, I drank a lot. I was our pledge class chug champion. You know, I just, I drank a lot. And I think about that. I'm like, why didn't I continue to drink? Because there's, there's also addiction in my family. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that means that, you know, there's some genetics that play into that too. But I think it's at the same time, it's like I had different skills to, to cope with what was going on so that alcohol wasn't my only coping skill. Right. So I had friends and, and, you know, I had um, motivation to work and learn and play and hobbies and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for folks who don't have that and you grow up in a home where you don't have anything else and your family drinks and uses, and you learn that that's the way to make it through life, you know, yeah, it's 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 tough. I have a couple because, of questions. What if that yeah. what if that is the way to make it through? What if you don't have another escape and you're going to lose your mind or I mean if you went to a doctor, I mean, right? Like I must live in a town with a lot of um I don't know, what do I want to say? Oh, middle-aged white ladies who are being medicated by their doctors, <laughs> right? right? So, yeah. like, you know, like they yeah. they go in and they get a Xanax or they get something like that, or they they're it's a glass of wine at one o'clock in the afternoon, or they're doing something to manage themselves. My bigger question is, it just feels like this is how people in are are wired. Like like after a while, don't you just get that feeling that you're fighting a losing battle? I so I did that work for 25 years, right? Mm-hmm. And I was able to see a lot of people make a lot of significant changes in their life. Yeah. I mean, to really become very different people. And I think that was the part that kind of kept me going is that people really want to live their best life, right? Yeah. No one wants to be a drug addict. No one wants to be an alcoholic. They really want to live their best life. And so for those who make it out of it and are able to do that, the changes they make in their life are just remarkable. Yeah, I'll tell you this little story. So I went one time to an AA meeting. One of our clients was celebrating a year and a friend of mine who had worked with her from a different agency said, hey, come with me. So I go to this AA meeting and they're celebrating her year and I'm just sitting there, you know, just just to be there. It was an open meeting. So, you know, there. And a, another person from that group gets up to start to talk, right? And she looks out of the audience and she sees me and she's like, And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, please, no, no, no. And I'm like going, 
she's like, oh, yeah, I have stories about Marsha. And she went on to say her things and then came up to me afterwards and said, I remember being in treatment with you. And I remember how much of a, like, a shit I was to you. Because she was just, Mm -hmm. oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, And so... But here she was now at this point in time, she had 14 years of sobriety. There was a woman that sat behind me that as soon as we got up to leave, she's like, I just want to thank you. She goes, I wasn't successful when I came through treatment with you, but I've been clean and sober for two years now. And it was just by some of the things that you said that really made me think about that. And here I am. And it had been like nine years since she'd been out of treatment, but had only been clean and sober for like two years. Hmm. So I, you think about this as, in the kind of work that I did is that you think about this as like, I'm not going to save everybody, but I'm going to plant enough seeds that when people really want to make that change, they know what they do, they can do to make that change. And so seeing that kind of success over the years is what really motivated me to stay in that work. But it also is what motivates people to make changes. Like once I start to know more about what I'm doing and know that there are opportunities out there for me to do different and be different, you know, it takes hold at some point in time. We just don't know when. You just perfectly described how I feel making this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I get it. But yeah. And I'd never related the two, but yeah, I get it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't ask the question because I think things are hopeless. I ask the question to get the answer. And so people can hear why it's not hopeless, but, but to go backwards, why does it keep happening? Like, why don't we produce a generation of people who think math? Uh, no, thank you. Like, like, why doesn't that happen? Like, and it doesn't. Right. Like it's right. You know, through some decades talking about how things ebb and flow. Right. Uh, through some decades, it's cocaine. And then mm-hmm. through another decade, it's heroin. And then some people hold on to it. And then, then then like fashion, it comes back into style again. Like cocaine is huge right now again around here. And, you know, and so it just feels like what we're saying is that a, a portion of the population needs to escape. And some of them need to escape with alcohol and some of them need to escape with hard drugs and some of them need to escape with, um, I don't know, risky behavior and like, and they're on and on with gambling online and, you know, pornography, et cetera, and over and over. Like, there's so many different things. How crazy is it that this, that this soup we all come into is somehow not hospitable for such a large portion of us? Well, I think that goes to even greater than the drugs or alcohol. It's it's also about, you know, how do we build and grow a generation of people who can tolerate not having instant gratification, mm-hmm. right? How do you raise your kids so that they don't get everything that they want or everything that they demand? And how do they work for that? And how do they delay some of that gratification? I think about it now, you know, like even just raising my son, you know, he wants something like, how do you build the tolerance that I can say no without you throwing a fit and having a meltdown? Yeah. Right. Because that's part of what drugs too are. They're instant gratification. I want to feel good. I do this. I feel better. Right. Right, right. And so it's that whole generation of how, what are we doing with our kids and what are we doing 
to raise them in a way that they have a good, strong work ethic and that they, you know, learn that they have to like earn money to then buy things and get what they want. And that doesn't happen today. That doesn't happen in the next instant. But, you know, for many of our generation, I just get on Amazon and order what I want. Mm. Right. Or I say that I want this and I'm in front of um, social media and I'm in front of this and I'm getting instant gratification continually. And I grew up on a hog farm. Like, think about that. Mm. Out in the middle of the country, we were poor, dirt poor, right? And so to buy a pair of jeans meant probably that I had to work, you know, for three months to be able to save my $20 to go buy my pair of jeans. Now I'm old. <laughs> so that's how much they were in that at that time. But, you know, it's like we had to work to get what we want. Um, and so, you know, needing that instant gratification wasn't a part of what I grew up with. I had the tolerance to be able to say, you know, I'm going to, if I want this, I have to work for it. Right. Well, and it's interesting and easy to um, say, oh, parenting, if the parents did a better job, which I, I mean, obviously everybody could do a better job, not just in parenting. But if that was the case, then, you know, the hardworking hog farmers of the 50s wouldn't have raised a generation of kids who were drinking all the time and or right. you know, et cetera. So like, it, it isn't just that either. I just think, like, I don't want to sound like I'm like headed down some like hocus pocus, like boulevard here or something like that. But it just feels to me that a large swath of people are not wired correctly, not even correctly, but wired in a way that gives over to this existence, the way it's set up right now. Like they're fighting against it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's sometimes I see somebody who's living in a van and doesn't have a real job. And I think, you know what? Good for them. That's probably where they're comfortable, you know, and 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 feeling like, and I don't know if this is the same in all parts of the country, using America as an example. But around here, like, there's a a pressure. Like, I don't know if you know what it costs to live here, but you got to make money if you want to stay here. And it's a, mm-hmm. and it's the second you're standing up and you're in your 20s, and it doesn't stop until you drop dead. Like, right? Like, so I can see people being like, I don't want this. And there are also people who thrive in it. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I... I mean, to be honest with you, like I, I told this story recently, so I don't want to go deep into it, but I, we went away for like nine days to see our kids. I worked like a dog for like two and a half, three weeks to prep myself so I could leave so that you guys listening to the podcast would not notice that I was gone. Right. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about like 12 hour days for like a solid week of editing and like, you know, stuff you just don't see behind the scenes. And somebody said to me, why don't you just like, not have the podcast for one week. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. And I was like, someone else might like, you know, I might lose, mm-hmm. like I might lose ground. I can't lose ground. I've been working at this for nine years. I'm going to stop right. now. Like, and I know there are plenty of other people would be like, uh, I don't care. Y- y- you know, like, as a matter of fact, I, I, I've seen people say, I'm going to start a podcast. And after talking to them for 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, that's not going to work for you. Right, like, like you, you just don't have the personality to like do the back end work that that needs to be done. I'm, I'm sure you could sit down and talk, but you're not going to do the other things that like you don't fit in that. And and I'm sure there are people who grow up in parts of the country that are very slow, 
And they're not okay with that either. And, and they have that, like, I'm so bored, I got to get out of here feeling. They want to be up here fighting with the rats with me, mm-hmm. you, you know? Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. Like, I, it's a bigger thought. And, of course, it's not your job to know the answer to it. But it just feels like people are sometimes incompatible with their life or their surrounding. And then on top of that, they get bad direction from parents who are probably in the same situation. And we try to boil it down to something simple, like, oh, they weren't parented well, or she's anxious, or you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't think any of it's that easy or simple. I always used to say that if I had the answer to why people got addicted or, you know, uh, or became or became an alcoholic, I would just bottle it up, sell it for a thousand dollars, stamp your forehead as cured and be the richest person in the world. Yeah. Cause there is no direct answer to why. It's just fascinating. It's That's just, all. Yeah. Yeah. It's about what are you going to do with it? Right. Like now that you're there, what are you going to do with it? It's kind of like, I was just actually, I was listening to your podcast this morning. Um, talking about the myth, um, of, um, why people became diabetic. And it's like, does that really matter? Like, does it matter? Like, you're there now. What are you going to do? Yeah. How are you going to live your life now? What's the choice that you're going to make about that? I honestly, like, again, this sounds strange, but I don't obviously know the answer. But it seems to me that caring about other people, having a goal, and feeling like the thing you're doing is helping the greater good is what keeps me straight and narrow. Yeah. Like, like, like I just, I, I'll tell you that Jenny and I spent 20 minutes texting yesterday and she sent me this letter that a listener of the podcast sent to her. And it's just a thank you. It's an eloquent thank you from a younger person. And she said, Scott, you know, I got permission to send this to you. I, I thought you should see it. And it's hard, it's hard not to just come out and say, like, the letter says, Jenny and Scott, like, you saved my life. And mm-hmm. it goes over how. And I texted Jenny and I was like, I said, it's today was the day I was looking at my online messages. So I'll spend, like, I get tagged in so much stuff online mm-hmm. and I'm trying to find as much of it as I can. It's very, if you guys have ever tagged me and I haven't seen it, it's hard for me to see it all. But so I'm jumping through and it's message after message with pictures of adults and children and like, look how healthy I am and I'm doing great and look at my graph and blah, blah, blah. And I get through it and it's very emotional. I almost have to wall myself off from it a little bit to do it because if not, I just sit at my desk and cry the whole time, like Mm -hmm. just out of like Mm -hmm. happiness. And then Jenny sends this email and now I'm sitting here and I'm just wiping these tears running out of my eyes away. And I texted her and I said, I said, oh, you pushed me over the edge. I'm crying now. And I spent, you know, I spent this morning already looking at these messages. And she said, I cried for a while after I read that. And then we just sort of commiserated about what it feels like to help a stranger, like a person whose face I literally mm-hmm. don't don't know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, I mean, how valuable that is. And And if everybody couldn't find a way to I mean, you could start small, right? In your family mm-hmm. or like on your street or something. And I know this sounds like, I don't know, it just it sounds like it's what? the 70s and I live in Malibu. But I mean, <laughs> it just, it's it's so true. Like, I yeah. don't have any, I mean, there are problems in my life too. And, you know, 
concerns and worries. I have all those other things that people have. I, I, I'm not in a house that is unpleasant to be in. But other than that, like, I don't, my life's not that much different from anybody else's. I get up every morning and I'm like, I'm going to make that podcast and somebody's going to be better off because of it. And I might leave a seed behind, like you were talking about, where yeah. maybe 10 years from now, people will still use this and et cetera. Yeah. So. It's about finding that life worth living, you know, like that, that you found that value and meaning to what you have going on. And, and that's a life worth living for you. And for folks that don't have that, you know, that's the challenge, but it's, I think we all want to find that, right? Yeah. I think everybody wants to find this life that they find meeting to and all of that. Mm. And I will say that I do attribute a lot of how I manage my son's diabetes to listening to your podcast. Like, I don't know that we would be where we were with our diabetes management if I hadn't started listening. Oh, thank you. You know, and I hadn't started like kind of taking, taking, control of what was happening with my son. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you and Jenny tremendously. Thank you. I'm going to shift to that in one second, right after I okay. let, I let everybody in on the, the big secret of this episode, as we're 50 minutes into this and people are like, great, another time Scott has brought on a person and they haven't talked about diabetes, <laughs> but let me just pull back the curtain on what I'm doing here in case you're not following uh -huh. along. This is exactly about you taking care of your diabetes. That's, yeah. that's what this conversation's about because yep. the there's no difference. I have not been able to see a difference except for access, right? Like, you know, I'm, there are people who can't afford certain devices, but you can live well without those devices too. Mm -hmm. And so after doing this for so long, I don't see a difference in people's health success with diabetes, generally speaking, like I'm sure some of you have like extenuating circumstances, but it just comes down to some, a little bit of education, some desire, getting up every morning, doing the thing, not feeling burdened by it, right? Like you didn't mm -hmm. hear me say I worked like a dog for 10 days to go, to go away and I hated it. I, mm -hmm. It was great. That's what my life was for 10 days. I worked really hard on this podcast for 12 day, twelve hours a day. I never once walked out of this room complaining, oh, my God, I was in there all day. Or blah, blah. So you have to accept what your life is and, and like you said, like attack it. Like this is the thing now. Like, all right, this is it. And I don't know. Like that's just how I see life. Like I expect speed bumps. I drive over top of them. Y mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if, if one of them stops, I mean, mm -hmm. it's a wall, then we stop and we find a way over it, under it or around it. And then we just keep going. It's mm -hmm. that it pops into my head constantly. That old like country music song is like, I just, no one promised you a rose garden, right? Like, right. like, like but everyone thinks life is going to be this perfect thing. And then, you know, you don't see it. When people are throwing tacks in front of you, little things like, oh, I don't seem to be able to find a girlfriend, you know, like, no, I don't jive with anybody. That's a, a small problem, like, and, and it could be a big problem if you're alone. But those little things, we don't step back ever and go, I can't win. Like, the, like you know, but then this diabetes thing comes. And, and listen, I'm right there with you. It happened to my daughter. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. Like, like, you know, you spend mm -hmm. months and sometimes years in your head, like negotiating with nothingness about like, how do I get out of this? Like, how do I get her out of this? And then you just realize like anything else, I mean, like a, like somebody who was put in prison for 40 years for something they didn't do, like you can either be a prisoner 
or you can you can find a way to live in your in your surroundings. And I kind of see diabetes like that. And I see a lot of people who just fight against it constantly. They won't stop fighting it. And, you know, I understand how that can happen, but I'm telling you, the only path that I've seen is just to not give up, but you just Mm -hmm. have to accept, like, this is the world I live in. How do I live Mm -hmm. in this world the best way possible? You know, so true. I think that's one of the things that, um, that I think about a lot. And I read a lot of the posts on Facebook and that kind of stuff. And, you know, there was one post that struck me just like to the core of this mom of a newly diagnosed that said, okay, we're getting out of the house for the first time, like in three months since his di- my son's or daughter's diagnosis. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. like you just have to live your life. Like you just live your life. Like you just go. Cause if your son gets low at home or your son gets low at the grocery store, you're going to treat it the same way. Yeah. Right. Hey, you're not even talking about somebody who wanted to leave the child behind. They were just leaving no. the house. Hey, listen, they I, were just walking out of the house together. <laughs> I can't, I, I can't tell you that that didn't happen to me. I mean, Arden was yeah. two and she was small, but I would think, well, what if she gets low while I'm driving and she's in the back seat in that car seat and I don't notice it? Or like, you know, and then you just think, okay, like you, you set up ways to take care of that. You know, what if, what if we don't have something? It's impossible now. There's always juice in my car. It's in every door pocket of every vehicle that Mm -hmm. any of us travel in, right? Like that just doesn't happen that way. And Mm -hmm. yes. And two days ago, Arden left to get her hair cut and she's home from college right now. And she's almost 19 next month. She took care of herself. I mean, all year at college on her own, one of the spans, she was gone for five solid months, right? She's doing Mm -hmm. terrific. And as she walked past here yesterday, while I was sitting here editing and I heard her like shoes go down the hallway, I was like, hey, you you leaving for your hair? And she's like, yeah. And I couldn't stop myself. I was like, do you have a juice? And she goes, yes. And I was like, okay. And then that was it. Like, I just, I still pictured her sitting at that place, getting her hair cut getting low and not having access to something. So I I get why people feel that way, but you're not wrong. You just have to go do it. Like you'll come to that wall and then you'll find a way over around it or under it. And you'll keep going. Mm -hmm. You just can't Mm -hmm. sit in your house and just think, Oh, I'm stopping something bad from happening by not doing anything. Right. Um, Because the diabetes is not going to go away. Yeah, it's not right. That's the point. And And your kid's not going to live his life, her life, whatever in your house. Like that's that I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'll give you a little secret here. Okay. One of the most asked questions of me for years, Marsha. Oh yeah, you're good at it and you're helping her. But what happens when she leaves Mm -hmm. like that fear and people talk about it like, it's not going to happen. It's two ways. Either people talk about like, it's never going to happen. So I'll just keep you here and keep you safe. Almost that like, Hey, when you grow up buy a house across the street from mommy thing that you hear, like literally every person, every woman who's ever pushed a baby through her loins or come out in any way or adopted Uh one or anything says like, Oh, they're not going to move. They'll live across the street. You think that's a new thought? I've heard everyone says that, right? That's not going to happen either. Um, and by the way, when that does happen, it's stifling for your kids. They should right. spread their wings, right? And then you'll hear people say that, like nobody's ever going to go anywhere. Or someone will say, look, you got to figure this out because they're going to leave. 
And I know that's hard to wrap your head around, but that's my experience. Like, mm-hmm. it's coming. It's going to happen. You can be prepared for it, or you can pretend it's not going to happen, and then send them out into the world completely just ill-aligned with their needs. And that's where problems come from. And I, go ahead, please. Yeah. I've kind of taken the attitude that, like, I'm going to help my son as much as I can right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I'm also going to afford him the opportunity to step in where he feels ready for the longest time, you know, well, not for the longest time, really for a re- pretty short amount of time when we were MDI, he would, um, we would give him his shots and he goes to school one day and I said something to the school nurse. Now I've had a fantastic school nurse, but I said something to the school nurse, like he's kind of interested in his shots. Um, he came home that day and he said, Miss Diane taught me how to do my shots and I'm going to do them from here on. So he did. I've never given him a shot since. Wow. And um, when we change his pump, He's like, I'm going to put it on. And I'm like going, okay. Um, and so like, he doesn't do anything else to get it ready. He just puts it on, but mm-hmm. whatever he's ready for is what we're going to do. I know by the time he's 18, he'll be ready. I won't be, but he will be. Yes. And so that's just how it's going to go. But yeah, you just have to figure it out and just live your life. Mm-hmm. It's you know? going to happen. You can yep. either be prepared to approach the wall or act like it's not going to come. And right. then when you get there, stand next to it for 50 years going, I can't believe this happened to me. I thought <laughs> I was going to get through this without running into a roadblock. And now I, mm-hmm. I'm, I, it's it's the roadblock's fault. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's not. By the way, I've decided to call this episode over, under, or around. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you. I wrote that yeah. down. Uh, I yeah. also wrote down where you said shit, 3625. But now that I did that, <laughs> I have to write down... 5818, where I said, and then again at 5822. Okay. Sorry about that. No, 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 it was fun. I'm surprised I haven't said anything worse. (laughs) I mean, if you grew up on a hog farm, I'm pretty surprised you aren't just like Uh, MFing this whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, my dad had a plethora of words for pigs. So, yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't want to hear any of them. (laughs) So, um, I also want to say that, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, well, you know, call Scott, like it's, you know, I'm addicted to something or I can't get through a week without do. I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm making a, I think I'm asking the bigger question, honestly, like it just, it's baffling to me that so many people find themselves in this situation. But if you want to talk about hope, there's an after dark episode, um, called After Dark Sex Worker, um, mm-hmm. because that's how the person like classified themselves mm-hmm. to me. But in the in the parlance of my time, she's a stripper, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. In the course of that conversation, Mila said, I asked about her diet, because she hadn't had diabetes that long. And she said, without any sense of irony, she wasn't joking, she said, mostly tequila and Coke. Mm-hmm. And she didn't mean like tequila and soda. Right. And she said it so matter of factly. And that episode's been out for over a year now. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't tell you, I think about her a lot. Like, I literally think about her saying that like a lot. And I wonder if she's okay. And later in the episode, she talked about her father passing from a fentanyl overdose, if I'm not mistaken. And she just said it in a way that, 
it was it was like she was telling me that there's a sofa in her living room. It was mm-hmm. just so normal, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I worry about her constantly. I don't even know her. And a couple of days ago, she sent me a note and she said, I, I want you to know I'm, I've been sober for two months. Oh, wow. That's and, awesome. And I, I don't know why she was telling me, but it was almost like it felt like, oh, God, she knows I'm worried about her. You know, and I, and I said, um, and I, you know, we talked back and forth. I won't tell you what we said to each other. Uh, she did tell me she's um, what I think the gentleman on California Sober referred to as California Sober. I think she's smoking pot still, which I have mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I don't really see the issue with. Um, but mm-hmm. I was like, well, congratulations. I said, do this for a year and I'd love to come back on the podcast and tell me about the process. And And then I shared with her. I worry about, I know it's weird No, we don't know each other, but I worry about you a lot. And she said, I was a real mess then. And, but, but why I'm telling you that is because when I was talking to her, when we were recording that, she did not think she had an issue of any kind whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's baffling to me. Not, not, not about her specifically, but about people in general, like not baffling. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating mm-hmm. that your ass could be on fire and you're just like, everything's fine. And you believe mm-hmm. it. You really believe mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's- That's that whole education piece about addiction is like people need to be able to see that there's a life beyond like that it that something can be different. But if I can't imagine my life being any different, then why would I think what I'm doing is that bad? Yeah. You know? I don't want to get too deep, but you're born and you die. That's your shot. If you want to believe yep. in an afterlife, you can, but I'm not putting money on anything I can't see, hold, or touch right now. So this is it right here. You're a you're a baby and a toddler and a young person and a preteen where you're all messed up with hormones, and then you're a teen where you're messed up with hormones, and then maybe if you're lucky, things start to gel for you in your, what, mid-20s, if you're lucky, right? And then... I don't know how to tell you, but it's only 20 years till your knees start hurting. So, <laughs> Or you get a new one like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got, like, listen, I told my son on the way out the door, I said, you're going to start figuring things out. That's going to take you five or six years to get a solid idea about what you're doing. And at that point, you're either going to have a baby, think about having a baby, or not have a baby. But one way or the other, by the time you're 50, your back's going to hurt. I said, you played baseball your whole life. Your knees are going to hurt. Your arms are going to hurt. Like your shoulders are going to hurt. And you're going to be, you're going to come to that conclusion that everybody runs into at some point. The only thing that matters is my health. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first thing. I don't have my health. Everything else is going to be a, a, you know, an uphill battle. And Mm -hmm. I said, it rewires you. You think, God, I wish, I almost wish my knee hurt when I was 20. You, you know, and then it mm-hmm. and then it takes you back to like why do people with diabetes so often have such clear, like a clear understanding and perspective, like right, like mm-hmm. don't you find the people that come on the show, the more problems they have, they either find themselves spinning out of control, or the most thoughtful people you've ever met in your life. Who, yes, like, like how many yes. how many people yeah. on here have talked about like. Serious health, like life-altering or possibly ending health issues. And they're the most zen people in the world. 
Like they just, yeah, they've like, it's almost like they've embraced what's going on with them and have just figured out like, this is, this is it. And here we go. You know, again, it's, it's, it's like being in prison and you didn't do anything wrong, but you can either let it ruin your life or you can find the best way Mm -hmm. to live in your circumstance. Right. And, um, I just heard an interview with a, with a person who had that. That's why it stuck in my head. I think they were in prison for over 30 years, something they clearly did not do. And um, they're literally a together person. Now, they still have trauma from being in prison. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's not to be discounted. And actually, in your note to me, you said that a diagnosis is traumatic. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk about that a little bit from a personal and, perspect- and professional perspective? Sure. So, you know, my son was diagnosed. We just did what we had to do, right? Just to kind of make it through. And it wasn't until... Um, like I told you, I go to the gym every morning at five in the morning and I was sitting on, um, I found your podcast and I was sitting there and I was listening and I was actually listening to Mark. What is it? Oh, he's the tight end for, uh, the Ravens. The Ravens. His mom was on. Yes. His mom was on. Mark Andrews. And, mom, right. Yeah. Mark Andrews. Um, and it, she was talking about it. And the next thing I know, I'm just bawling. I'm just sitting there as she's telling her story, which she, I think, cried during the episode. But I'm just bawling because I'm reliving our son's diagnosis. My son was really, really sick. He was in DKIA. He had Kuzmal breathing. You know, we go into urgent care because we thought he had the flu. Ten minutes after walking into that door, they're like going, your son's type 1 diabetic. He's going to the hospital. He's going to be in ICU. He's going to be on insulin the rest of his life. Here, take him and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we're like, we're going to go get a diagnosis, but no, you know. And then we walk into the uh, emergency room and four nurses and three doctors swarm him. And one doctor came over and said, your son is really, really, really sick, you know. And so... You know, just hearing her talk about that just kind of brought that all up. And I'm like, you know what? That was very traumatic for us. And I think, you know, one of the ways through trauma is just being able to talk about it and share it and say, yes, that that had some feelings associated it, pretty strong feelings that I don't think I really recognized until I was listening to her tell about her son's diagnosis on the podcast. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I see why some parents get real immobilized. And that's what I just want to say is like, here's what it is. Acknowledge it, talk about it and move through it. Like you've got to live your life. Yeah. You can't change it. And so, you know, just acknowledge what's going on about it. So one of my things that I, that happened after, which, you know, I'm a social worker and my life's not a secret. I, I tell everybody anything. I'll tell everybody anything. I guess that's what I want to say. So, um, you know, I just started talking about it. I started talking about it to the people that I work with. I started talking about it with my family. I started talking with about how scary it was, you know, what it felt like, all of that. So I, I just think it's important that people understand that it is traumatic. It is difficult. It is a challenge, but it's, again, what you do with it that's important that really you know, helps you kind of move forward and live with this or just kind of get you stuck in that spot and you're kind of immobilized. I always have the same thing pop into my head. I think about The Walking Dead, the TV show, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. But Mm -hmm. 
something shocking happens in the world that you can't possibly be prepared for. And the people who make it out are the ones who don't stand around and wonder why mm -hmm. are there zombies, right? Mm -hmm. They're grabbing guns and they're grabbing food and they're grabbing water and they're grabbing trucks. And they're the ones who are like, I, I'm going to make it through all this. Like I used mm -hmm. to say on the podcast a lot, just because it was, it ended up being my life. Like if, like if shit gets sideways, find me. Like mm -hmm. I'm living through yeah. this, you, you know, yeah. and, and you could too. Like, I know you, like, you might hear that and think, oh, well, he's a special kind of person or he has a special, I don't have a special trait. I just, I don't give up. Like, I'm not, right. I'm not going down like that. Like whatever yeah. it is, like if it's diabetes or, you know, whatever, like I, I am not a person who's going to give up. And right. I don't know why that is. I can't tell you exactly. Like maybe it's a set of circumstances and wiring and how I was raised or how I wasn't raised. Like I know it's all like random and you can't, you're not, you're not at fault if you don't have certain attributes, right? But, right. but you can, what no matter what your attributes are, make a decision. Mm -hmm. I'm not going out like this. Like, right. Like, mm -hmm. and then whatever that ends up being. You know, like whatever that ends up being, ends up being. And if it's your story, if you do go out, okay. But at least like go down swinging. Like, I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's nothing yeah. more frustrating than watching somebody take strike three. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, right. right? Like, you know, we were diagnosed right in the middle of the pandemic, right? And so I literally, I got my son on a CGM and on a pump before we had our first in-person um, endocrinologist appointment. Like we had one on telehealth and I'm like, nope, I'm doing this. Yeah. Like, this is what I hear. This is what he needs. This is what we're going with. And he was on a pump and on his Dexcom before we even went in and saw the endocrinologist in person. I'm mm -hmm. like, we're doing this. Oh. This is how we go. The first Let's time go. somebody said to me, oh, she can't have that. I was like, <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. listen, let's get past that idea because that's not going to even yesterday. I'll, I'll give you a, like a real world example of don't give up in a low stress situation. You guys, by now, if you're listening to the podcast, you recognize like I'm using WeGovi to lose weight, right? My wife mm -hmm. is using it as well. I'm we're both down 20 pounds in about 10 weeks. It's really just terrific. I can't tell you how how great it's been um, for us. But there's a bit of a shortage of it right now, right? Like they're just, and it's with the lower doses more than the higher doses. Once you get up to like, I think, I think 1.7 or something that seems to be pretty readily available. People are having trouble starting on those, those low doses. But um, two prescriptions go to our, our pharmacy and I get a phone call that mine's ready. And I call them up and I said, Hey, kind of weird. Like you said, my wife, mine's ready, but my wife's isn't. And the girl on the phone says, Oh yeah, we don't have hers. I was like, okay, why not? And she goes, well, it's out of stock. And I said, oh, okay, what will we do about that? And she said, we'll wait for it to come back in stock. And I said, well, how will I know when it's back in stock? And she goes, uh, you, you can call back. And I was like, well, what if somebody else calls back before me? Like, what if my prescription came today and their prescription comes in three days, but they call back before me? Did they get my Wegovi? And she's like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, well, that, I'm like, that's not going to be okay. And I said, so um, let's try to think this through for a second. And she's like, okay. I said, what could we do to find me Wegovi? 
And she was without an answer, right? She stood there and she's like, I I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, can you take some suggestions from me? And she said, sure. And I go, could there be some at another Walgreens? And she goes, oh yeah, there could be. And I was like, okay. Then she stared at me and I went, can you call them for me? And she goes, I can look in the computer. And I went, great. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then she she pulled it up and she said, there's one box like two miles from here. And I went, can you move my prescription to there? She goes, no. And I said, what would I do? And she goes, well, you would have to call them. And I went, okay. And then she starts looking over my shoulder and I went, can I have the phone number, please? And she's, and I'm being nicer than this right now. I'm just painting a picture of the, this girl was like inept at this. And, um, but at any point during this conversation, I know a lot of you would have just heard no and gone, oh, I guess I don't get it. And then left. Mm-hmm. But I kept asking reasonable questions. So I was like, okay. So she gave me the phone number. I typed it right into my phone. Now ask me, did I wait to get home to call the phone number? No, I was calling, walking out of the Walgreens. And then I got the pharmacist on the phone and I said, I hear this, that you have this. I have a script at this pharmacy. Can you please pull it over and fill it? And she goes, yes, no problem. And I said, that's terrific. When will it be ready? And she goes, in about a half an hour. And I said, I will be there in 30 minutes. And she's like, great. I did everyone's thinking for them Mm -hmm. because I needed this thing. I've done this with insulin. I've done it with pumps. I've done it with CGMs. I've been on, listen, I've been on the phone with Dexcom customer service, walking them through it because I recognize it's hard to get customer service people. I don't care if you're Dexcom or you're Tandem or who the hell you are. That's a hard job. Like, cause they doesn't pay a lot. They don't get a lot of training, you know, at most generally speaking, sometimes you have to keep in mind. And I don't want to say be your own advocate because that's trite. Like, but I don't give up. That girl tried to shut me down six different times. And it turns out there was an answer. And even mm-hmm. though I didn't know it in the moment, I, I found it. And I don't think that life is any different than that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. I mean, that's like what I found when I was, you know, new to all of this and trying to figure out, you know, how do we get on a Dexcom? How do we get on? We are on a a tandem. So how do we get on that? Like, and then I'm on the phone to my insurance, which was a city funded, like city plan. So I'm like, tell me what I need to do. And they're like, well, if you can't do this, call us back. I don't, I was personal friends with that person by the time I got on a pump. Yeah. I'm like going, yeah, we're just going to, we're just going to keep doing it. And like, do I call the tandem rep? Do I call this person? Do I call this person? I called everybody mm-hmm. because my son was going to have what he wanted, you know, and what I wanted him to have. Um, I wasn't going to let it stop. And I think that's, I think, I think that's part like the key to life, right? Yeah. Like, how do you get what you want? How do you advocate enough for yourself to do it? You can let it happen to you or you can just go do it. I also want to point out that the girl at the first Walgreens is probably 20 years old. Yeah. And, and she was just doing what she was told. Like nobody told her to, to like problem solve. They, mm-hmm. she, she said what she knew. She was now out of decisions. Right. But I wasn't out of questions yet. <laughs> and and it, right. tur- it turned out she knew more. By the way, never yelled at her, wasn't upset. I didn't like none of that. Like, I was just like, oh, well, you had a lovely conversation. As a matter of fact, a month later, 
if I'm being honest, I just told you a story from a month ago um, and uh-huh. acted like it happened yesterday. Sorry, that happens in podcasts sometimes. Uh, but a month <laughs> later, when I went back to pick up my next one at the drive up, she like saw me and lit up and she waved. She's like, hey, how are you? Because after we found it, before I walked away and made the phone call, she said, what is this drug for? And I looked at her and I went, it's for weight loss. And she goes, does it work? And back then I was like, I've lost 15 pounds already. And she's like, wow, good for you. And I was like, thank you. And we had like a little connection. And then a month later, of all the people that she sees face to face to face, she looked at me and she's like, hey, how are you? How's it going? And I said, 20 pounds now. And she's like, that's incredible. And she digged it up and and gave me the next one, the one that they had. So anyway, uh, I'm not saying people are idiots. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there are going to be speed bumps and there are going to be walls you run into and you can't just bump your nose into them and turn around and go home. Like it just, it's not how things work. And especially with diabetes in a situation where you are going to have this traumatic thing. And then at some point come to the realization of like, Oh hell, I'm not getting out of this. Mm -hmm. And then come to the realization of like, Oh, it's going to try to kill me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to stop it from doing that. Mm -hmm. And then you go, who, who will help me? Uh, here, you, white coat. And then mm-hmm. white coat goes, eh, I don't know, man. You, you know, or, or says, I, I interviewed a guy yesterday, 35 years old. He's like, your podcast was given to me by my doctor and included so much more information than the doctor mm-hmm. would, was ever going to give me. And so now you're in that, that doctor's office thinking, well, they don't have the answer either. That's where a lot of people give up, right there. Or mm-hmm. they accept, well, this must be what it is. And I don't know how they would know differently, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You know, that's, that's so true. I just think about that. Um, like about, oh, a month ago, I was just really frustrated with my son's numbers. He's has some growing going on and he's a little sneaker. Mm. He sneaks food and candy. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on because um, he walks out the door for school and his blood sugar rises instantly, no matter what he has for breakfast. He just gets excited about that. And then he was going to bed and his blood sugar was rising after he went to bed, right? And I kind of let it go on. Probably, I, I kind of blame myself for this. I'd let it go on a little for longer than I wanted to. And I just finally said, okay, stop it enough. I stepped back. I started looking at the graphs. I made all of these changes across all of his profiles. And he's had beautiful, like two weeks after that, we go into the doctor and she's like, um, I see you've made some changes. And I said, yes, yes, I have. You know, I just took ownership and said, yep, I did it. Here's what I did. And she goes, you know what? I couldn't have made any better changes. And I'm like, yes, yes. Is that a, um, yeah, it's it's that just deciding that like you you can take control and charge or not, you know. I I have to ask you a question. Like that's an uh-huh. interesting like in my mind I'd rather ask for uh forgiveness than permission, right? Uh-huh. And but at the and I don't even think I would actually ask for forgiveness if I'm being 100% honest. But like what is it in people's minds do you think? Where they go to a doctor and the doctor's about to disagree with them and they they turtle up and they're like, uh oh, here it comes. I'm going to get in trouble. I've never felt like that about anything in my entire life. And I wonder what that is. You know, I think it's because doctors have had this place in our, um, like in the hierarchy of our world that they know everything and they know best, mm. right? 
I could even relate this back to addiction, you know, people getting addicted by the pills that the doctors gave them. Well, the doctor gave it to me. Well, but if you really think about it, the doctors are just really doing the best that they can, and they may not have all the information. Yeah. And so, like, I started thinking about, you know, just partnering with our endocrinologist versus her being the lead, that I'm just going to partner with her, right? And she can teach me some things, and she can tell me if I'm, like, off track or if I should make some tweaks, but I wasn't going to wait for her to make some some decisions when I could see by looking at his graphs what was going on. Yeah. And I've met other parents who are like, oh, I never make changes on it. I make them all the time. <laughs> I think it would benefit everyone if they could meet people in professions that they think of as like, I don't know, like super mm -hmm. important or anything. Because I know doctors personally. And you know mm -hmm. what's interesting about them is they're people. Who, yeah. had, who had enough fortitude to make it through eight years of college doesn't even necessarily make them any smarter than you. I've had Jenny say yeah. to me, I think of you as a colleague. And mm -hmm. I barely got through high school, mm -hmm. right? I There's no pretense about me at all. As a matter of fact, lately, I've been, <laughs> lately, Marcia, people have been recognizing me in public more and more. Mm -hmm. I got to step up my game. Yesterday, my <laughs> daughter's like, your shirt doesn't even match your shorts. And that lady knows who you are. And I was like... <laughs> Oh, um, yeah, I was like, damn. Yeah. Uh, so like, no kidding. We were in a, and hi to the person that I met, I guess. But, um, I took Arden to Ulta to get some makeup. Uh -huh. And, uh, as we were going up to pay, I noticed a woman come through the front door and the flashlight was on in her phone and she just stuck it in her pocket and we intersected each other. So I said, excuse me. I noticed when you were walking in that the flashlight was on, on your phone. And she goes, oh, thank you. And I said, no trouble. And I walked away. And we got in line and paid for makeup. And by the way, whoever makes makeup, uh, you're criminals and um, right. <laughs> should not cost that much money. And we're walking out the door. Arden's a little ahead of me. And this this person is now back in, like, in front of me again. And she goes, do I know you? And I went, uh, and I stopped and kind of backed up through the door. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, do we know each other? And I get my first thought, I'm being honest, I was pretty close to home was, is this like a person who's like got a kid a year younger than me or older than me? And I, we kind of know each other. And I'm like, I'm not sure where from. And she goes, Facebook. And my first thought was, I'm not on Facebook. Like I have like a private, I have a personal Facebook, but I don't use it, you, you know? And I'm like, no, uh -huh. no. And she goes, diabetes. And I went, oh, well, that could be. <laughs> and uh, and then we started chatting and, you know, she works at a local hospital and blah, 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 and, uh, in diabetes. And uh, we get outside and Arden's like, yo, you're like internet famous now. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, dude, your shirt doesn't even match your shorts right now. <laughs> Come on, dad. <laughs> I was like, she goes, I look homeless. And I was like, she's like, this isn't okay. <laughs> and I'm like, right. Um, but that's on the heels of in the last seven days, I've met two other people in public who have recognized me. Wow. And so yeah. I was like, all right, I guess I got to do something about this. Um, I'm, I'm going to, first of all, I'm not going to stop using the Wigovi. <laughs> now now <laughs> I'm, I'm suddenly know why, like, like I'm making quotes around famous, but now I know why famous people are so worried about how they look because you do have like, suddenly you're like, I wonder are people looking at me? Like, is, right. could that be happening? And I'm like, oh, so I'm going to not think about that. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I don't know where I was headed with that. But, you know, back to your point about if, if people could just see like doctors as, as people, right? Yes. 
uh, my next door neighbor is a doctor, right? I see him picking up his dog poop. Like he's a real person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he didn't know everything. Right. Nobody knows everything, but you get enamored. Like, I mean, even right. like, yeah. like I met somebody the week before and they were enamored with me. And I really wanted to say to them, like, this excitement you have is misplaced. <laughs> like, I'm a guy who has a kid with type one. I understand it maybe better than some people. And I'm a good communicator. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm, there's nothing beyond that. Like it just, this is it. I like doing this. It helps people and it pays my bills. And so I do it every day. I, I can't tell you if I couldn't pay for my kids to, you know, eat, I wouldn't be able to do this. You right. know what I mean? Like, so yeah. like uh, there's, and the doctor's a doctor cause he wanted to make money and he maybe was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm good at science. He might not even have been like, I want to help people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, listen, yeah. I, I know a couple of different, do- I, I know more than a few doctors and some nurses and they're all lovely people and they go out and do a hard job and everything, but they're not smarter than you. Right. Generally speaking. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? So. I think that's so true. Like, especially with, like, I'm a, like, I'm clearly I'm around my son all the time because I'm his mom, but like, I see what happens to his body, Right. My endocrinologist doesn't. She doesn't see what's happening to his body, to what happens with what food he puts in his body and how that impacts him and all that kind of stuff. So I see that. So how is she going to be better at understanding the ins and outs of how diabetes affects him than I am who sees what he eats, how much he doses, when he sneaks, and what it does to his blood sugar? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, anybody who's ever had their car make a noise, then they take it to a garage and it won't make the noise anymore. It's basically Mm -hmm. the same situation. You, Mm -hmm. you know, you're standing there going, no, you don't understand. When I make a right turn, Mm -hmm. the wheels wobbling and Mm -hmm. I know it's not happening right now, but it happens every day. Just because they can't make the wheel wobble (laughs) doesn't mean that it's not happening to you. And you go into a doctor's office, you're like, here, these are my concerns. And they'll look at your graph or do, or they're your, and they'll be like, ah, and they start turning dials and moving things. And I'm like, that is not a good way to do this. And, and by the way, I'm not trying to give people the idea not to listen to their doctors or that they're not valuable. I'm just saying they're not infallible. And, and and you shouldn't be cowering when you're explaining what you did. Right. You know? Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the whole idea of me partnering with my doctor instead of her pleading you know, I just need to be the partner in this yeah. and my opinion counts and what I think counts and what I see matters. And I should be able to say that. Mm. So, you know, I felt very proud when she said you made the exact changes that you needed to. I'm like, yay, go me. Yeah, and if she told me that I hadn't, I wouldn't have changed them back because what I saw was they were working. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't care and, what you. Yeah, and a decent, And by the way, a decent doctor will g- get to you with that. And a lot of you are not great communicators, and so like it's that feeling right away of wanting to be um, adversarial as soon as you're like mm-hmm. you know like oh well like you had one experience, but what if the doctor would have been like hey you can't be making these changes, and then you have an opportunity to either say well you know, we made them because of this and this is the result. So we really do feel like this was, was valuable. Or you could just be like, go to hell and then get mm-hmm. angry. And now you're in a fight. Like, I know, like, again, people think like, oh, they're professionals or they shouldn't like 
you know, have an opinion about if they like me or not, or, but they're just people. And, you know, maybe you, yeah. maybe you're crappy to them and they're like, I hate Patty. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, you know, I'm going to help her because, you know, that oath I yeah. took and everything, but um, <laughs> I don't like her. And, and then suddenly you could be those, per- those people grew up poorly too, just because they ended up being mm-hmm. doctors doesn't mean they're great communicators either. And right. it's just a lot going on. So I like to keep it simple and I like to stand up and say what I did. Like, right. Like, this yeah. is what I did. This is why I did it. If you have input about it, give it to me because I'd love to know if there's more improvement to have here. Yeah, because there there have been times that I've made a change and she's like, well, I think this is a little too strong and this is why you're seeing that. And she, we, we talk about it and she explains it to me. So that's why I, you know, because we've what, been doing this two and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I felt like I was really happy that she agreed with what I was doing. However, the first couple of times we were in there, it was a lot of me learning from her and a lot of me saying, yeah, I made this change and I see why that wasn't good yeah. too. So it's that whole just being really open to that communication and really like this idea of a partnership versus adversary or, you know, they're going to tell me what to do. They're, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Arden's been yeah. home from school for not even a week yet. And over the last couple of days, I'm like, Arden, you're getting low at like 3 a.m. Like over and over again. And not real low, but like just at that like 70, mm-hmm. 69-ish, like is it going to hold mm-hmm. like that low? And I'm like, okay, no more school food. So there was obviously something about her settings that was necessary at school. It's not necessary here. So I made her insulin sensitivity weaker overnight. I made her basal weaker overnight. And last night I almost had it. And I was like, ah. And I went mm-hmm. in and I, I turned a couple more dials and I think I'm good. I think tonight it's not going to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know how long you'd have to talk to a doctor or how well they'd have to understand your situation for for a per, forget a doctor for a third party person to come in and help me with that decision. I, I just don't know how. I don't. I don't know how it would be possible for them to know, even if I had the the mindset where I regurgitated all the information that would have led them to the answer. It's too much at once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Because where would that yeah. story start? Well, you know, she's at college and the food at college is blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. You, know, you know, like the doctor's going to be like, uh, I don't know. And then a, a lot of the problems, like right now, you know, you're seeing a low at 3 a.m. I had to make changes at midnight. Right. Right. And often doctors will see lows and take away far too much basal. Mm-hmm. Or they'll take it away at the wrong spots, or they won't talk to you about what happened before, which in the end is the real answer to Arden's issue is that Arden is now not eating difficult to digest processed crappy food at 11 o'clock. She mm-hmm. still had a snack at 11 o'clock, but it was decent food. And therefore, the foods the is the culprit for the 3 a.m. low. Right. In a, in a sense, like, because it's not as difficult anymore. So you make adjustments to blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Like, it's, they never, I don't, I, not never, never is unfair. But a lot of people I talk to, um, they'll go in and they'll say, you know, we're having a low here. And they took away all the basil. And I'd be like, but yeah, but there was a big spike four hours before that. Is that a meal? Oh, that's a meal. So you're not managing the meal well. We can't even tell 
what's going on four hours later. Like you shouldn't be looking at four hours later. We we should fix the meal first. And once you fix the meal Uh bolus, if you're still getting low afterwards, okay. But it, but it's very possible you won't be. And so basically what I did was I fixed the meal bolus and made a small adjustment to the overnight basal and insulin sensitivity. You know, it's good to hear you say that because I just experienced that with my son. It's like when I was looking at some stuff, I'm like going, wait a minute. Like as I'm looking at it, it dawned on me that what was happening around mealtimes was then impacting him later. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he doesn't have his carb ratio was off. It yep. was like way off. And so I changed that. Meal times went better, and then everything fell into line after that. I mean, it's good to hear you say that. That just gives me a little validation that my thinking's see how you teach is working. <laughs> we tend to look at something done is over. Mm-hmm. instead of, like, this is probably why. I, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. not, not for nothing. When you find yourself snorting heroin, it's not because you're bored. It's right. because of something that happened prior to this that gets you to this spot. And so, right. you know, we are always looking at the wrong moment trying to decipher what's happening. And, and I, the best way I've found to say it so far is that insulin for now is for later. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, insulin from before is what's happening now. Like it's right. just a mind shift in how you think about it. You can't yeah. you can't be looking so micro in the moment and trying to figure out why am I low at midnight? Because it's not about what's happening at midnight. It's about right. it's about what happened before that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yep. it. Well, listen, the two yep. of us are geniuses. I I figured that out. Actually, I, I don't I shouldn't joke, Marcia. You're a fantastic surprise this morning. You're oh, well, thank you. Very, very good at this. Thank you. Please don't start your own podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. I. Um, it, it's funny. I'll tell you how I found you. Um, I we went to the pumpkin patch, and my son went low, and I gave him some skittles. He went low, and I gave him something else. He went. He was still going low. I was totally freaked out. Right. Mm. He finally started going up. Well, because I'd just given him a. Sh- ton of, uh, sorry, a ton of sugar, he shot right up and we're waiting in the line for this little train of this pumpkin patch and he goes off and this lady whips her head around and she goes, Dexcom? And I said, yeah, him. And she goes, there's mine. And she goes, you need to listen to the juice box. She goes, I'm not afraid of lows anymore. It's the highs that scare me. And it, it was a shift in thinking for me, but it was the best pumpkin patch experience I ever had. Thank you to her for her leading me to you because oh. how we have continued to manage what's going on with him has really changed by your podcast. So I really, truly appreciate oh, the my, work that you do. Oh, that's my pleasure. And you were Linus and she was the great pumpkin. She was. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was great. Doesn't Linus's sister yell at him throughout that um, episode? I think so. I can't think of her name. Was it Lucy? Is Lucy Linus' sister? No, Lucy's got the dark hair. Linus' sister is the blonde. She's not um, She's not Peppermint Patty. Oh, come on. Hold on oh, a second. Oh, the blonde. Um, I can see her. Uh, not, I don't know. Wait, I'm going to figure it out. It's not Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, list of Peanuts characters. Oh, Lucy Van Pelt. You said Lucy, and I said no. Who was I thinking of? Who was the dark-haired one? She's the one who's mean to Charlie Brown. Yeah. What? Pat, not Peppermint Patty. 
Oh my God. I don't know. That's yeah. Marcy, this is ridiculous. How come I can't, this is very upsetting. Wait, <clears throat> is there, it's not Patty. Patty, where's the, um, peppermint Patty's the kind of, but there's a Patty and there's a peppermint Patty, by the way, where there are no yeah. extra names. It's not yeah. Violet. Violet was like the goth girl. Schroeder played the piano. Oh, wait, no. Lucy Van Pelt is is Linus's sister, but not who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Sally. Oh, yes. Sally's like the girl that like thinks she's Linus's girlfriend, but by the way, they're like all five, so it's weird. But right. um but uh, but she's not really and he doesn't really care about her that much. Sally yells at him unmercifully while he's in the pumpkin patch. Oh, that's funny. I'm going to have to watch that again. Do you think Charles Schultz had a bad relationship with women? Um, you know, the women are just kind of ruth- ruthless to those little boys, aren't they? Yeah, is she is she is he was he? Hey, you want to hear something crazy? He was in an old folks home that my mom worked in in her 20s. Oh, really? Yeah, anyway, that's neither wow. here nor there. Um, but I wonder if he was trying to write them as strong and they came across as really aggressive. Or if he didn't like women and was writing them as nasty. Because we'll have to research this. They're all nasty, right? Except for Peppermint yeah. Patty. She just seems like she's on mushrooms. But um, <laughs> she does, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not making that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all full circle. Yeah, you got to go. You got to actually. I mean, he clearly he's writing Marcy as a lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Sally's nasty to Linus, but she likes him and wants him to like her. Pigpen, I never understood. I mean, it's very dirty. <laughs> Would have been easy to hose him off. Um, Schroeder was kind of a dork, right? Like a like a piano right. player. All right. That's all I got. Did people mm. not like? I used to love the peanuts, but again, here I'll make a point. It was because you had no access to it. You you said right. that you said this earlier about instant gratification, right? Uh-huh. Let me make this point. As a child and even as a young adult, once a year, the Great Pumpkin would come on television. And if you were not seated when it came on, you would not see it again till the following October. That is true. One day they put it on VHS tapes. And my mom went right out and it's like, here, we can now watch The Great Pumpkin whenever we want. And I never watched it again. Right. It was too easy. Right. And, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it turns out it's not that great. <laughs> well, and, I, you know, the other show that you probably watch once a year was The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. CBS once a year. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'd put it on. Or or uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That cla- oh, yep. The claymation thing. Which... It was the scarcity of it that made it so attractive. Right. Right. It wasn't that it was the greatest thing that ever happened. It was that I couldn't get to it. And then there it was all of a sudden. I was like, oh, I have to watch it because it's here. Then they made it readily available and easy to get to. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want this anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Not my thing. Too easy. And it's not as good as I thought. Yeah. Although, whatever. I might be looking too far into this. Marsha, you were terrific. Thank you, Scott. I enjoyed being on. Oh, uh, you're very good at this. You can tell you talk to people all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, Anything we didn't cover that we should have? No, I I think we did. Covered it all. Excellent. Um, 
what's the rest of the day like? You're going to get in your tractor and go no. get a chicken? <laughs> I actually have to go to work and I have a couple of meetings uh, left today. I see. So. All right. My last question is, do you have uh, chickens? Do you own chickens? No, but I, I, cause I live in town here okay. and I don't know. I don't know that the people of Lawrence would like chickens in yeah. the backyard, but I have a space for them. And I keep telling my husband, we need to put some back there. Chickens are the thing I'm never going to do that. I think about doing all the time. I'm like, I'm really? going to get a couple of chickens and I'm going to eat their eggs every day. And then, yeah. and then I'm like, uh, who's, my wife's like, who's going to take care of them? I was like, oh, that's a fair question. <laughs> I have a, um, a coworker who has chickens. And so I'm going to con her into bringing me her eggs. So, well, that's even better. Bottom that's line, about as close as I'll, I can get. I'll probably try to figure that out. That sounds a lot better. Uh, thank yeah. you so much. Hold on a second for me. Well, that was it. That was Marsha. She was the last episode of 2023. Thanks very much, Marsha. A huge thanks to US Med for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Don't forget, usmed.com slash juicebox. This is where we get our diabetes supplies from. You can as well. Use the link or call 888-721-1514. Use the link or call the number, get your free benefits check so that you can start getting your diabetes supplies the way we do from US Med. I'm going to say something that's going to sound trite, but I feel really privileged to make this podcast for you. And every day that I see you all downloading it, and sharing it um, fills my heart in a way that I, I don't know that I can quite describe. So thanks to Marsha, and thanks to all of you, and thanks so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode. Ooh, I'll be back very soon with another year of the Juicebox podcast. If you want to hang on a second, I'll tell you about what's to come. In the beginning of January 2024, we're going to launch two new series, one Grand Rounds, the other Cold Wind. Cold Wind is whistleblowers, people coming on the show, taking on an anonymous name, having their voices changed so they can tell us about what happens in their jobs as emergency room nurses, physicians, human resource professionals, and more. On Grand Rounds, Jenny Smith and I are going to lay out what doctors should know about helping people with diabetes. And we're not going to be, uh, how do I want to say this? We're going to be nice, but we're not going to be polite. Grand Rounds is there for doctors to learn from and for you so that you can understand what you should expect. What doctors should do, what you should expect. Grand Rounds, coming in 2024 to the Juicebox podcast. You really have to check out the private Facebook group. It's now got 44,000 members in it. It's called Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. And if you'll give me just one second, I'm going to turn my microphone away. I don't usually sit so that I can see my whiteboard. If you're enjoying the podcast, please understand that my time is supported by ads. Omnipod, who've been advertisers since the very beginning in 2015. Dexcom came on second, I think in 2016, and since then we have built a wonderful group of advertisers. US Med, the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter, Gvoke Hypopen, AG1, Cozy Earth, Better Help, Touched by Type 1. And coming in 2024, we're going to add somebody else. Medtronic Diabetes. 
these advertisers support the production of this podcast. If you ever have a need or a desire to learn about them or to get started with them, using my links lets them know that you came from me. Using Juicebox Podcast links keeps the show plentiful and free for listeners. So if you have the need or the desire, click the links. There are links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to all the sponsors that I've mentioned here. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Have a happy new year. I'll see you very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.